Hello and welcome back fellow riders on Bus Talk, a podcast about work-life issues which crowd our minds each day. Myth-busting into reality, Bus Talk shares stories, anecdotes, observations, some tips and tricks to better your work-life balance or lack thereof. Simply put, it's a straight talk to help you cope with various work-life situations without having to reinvent the wheel. And yes, there is a lot of traffic, so it does take time. We go slow, steady and at our own pace. If this is what piques your interest, you're on the right bus. So sit back, turn up the volume and enjoy the ride. I'm your host GB and you're listening to Bus Talk. In today's ride, we bus talk about sales and marketing, the Tom and Jerry syndrome. Hang on, what is the Tom and Jerry syndrome again? I mean, is there one at all? Be patient, I'll let you in on this. But if assume there is one, then who is Tom and who is Jerry? If Tom is marketing, does it mean they are bigger than sales? Yeah, sales, the one who bring in the moolah, the revenue. But if you have sales as Tom, does Jerry become a nobody? But technically, isn't Jerry always outsmarting Tom all the while? Isn't that the case? And so, my friends, this is the Tom and Jerry syndrome, the evergreen, colossal fight between marketing and sales. And so in today's episode, I'm going to attempt to demystify the Tom and Jerry syndrome for you. Now, a quick shout out to the smart sales team at Blaze Clan. They requested for this topic, and I think it's a fascinating topic. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to think, reflect, and share some of the thoughts around this age-old rivalry that exists in any organization worldwide, which is worth their weight in PPTs. Oops, did I just make a slant towards marketing there? Just to be clear, I did not. Peace. Okay, this episode, we answer or attempt to answer questions like, why are marketing and sales not on the same page? What is the problem? What is so difficult to understand? Why are two departments pointing a finger at each other all the time? Can they have the same metrics? Interesting conversation there. And are there any solutions to make this equation work? Read in full caps, difficult equation. But nevertheless, this equation work. And finally, we wrap the show with the million dollar question. Should inside sales roll into marketing or field sales? Now, To understand this whole complexity, I'm going to take a very simple approach, as is being my style in the podcast. I try and give you a very simple 101 kind of an approach. So to understand the difference between marketing and sales, you need to first agree on the definition of the division of labor. Simply put, division of labor means you do your bit, I do my bit. And together, we achieve a common goal. Why so? Because it's not 
possible for one person to do everything. It's just not efficient. It's not smart. And it's usually going to land you in more trouble, missing targets, losing revenue than any efficiency creeping out of it. It's also a form of load balancing. So be very clear on the definition of division of labor, why it exists, and why this is the smartest way of dealing with the two departments. Give you an example to justify that. If a salesperson is asked to do marketing, how will they distribute their time? Remember, their primary goal is customer-facing, customer interaction, right? That should be their optimal time spent. So if you had, for example, 40 hours per week to work, how would you allocate time for marketing? Would you give like 20 hours to marketing efforts? Is that too much, like 50%? Or would you just give, what, 10% or 10 hours? Is that enough? What's the science behind it? Basis what? So what happens if your market is unaware about your existence? And then you, as a salesperson, make a call to this customer. What do you think will be the result? What are the chances of you making a sale? And the customer on the other end is clueless about who you are and what you do. And, you know, instead of asking, how are you? They ask, why are you? Right. On the flip side, if you did multiple events and had thousands of visitors to your event, could you do all sales activity? Imagine yourself as a marketing person. And you say you invite hundreds of customers to your event. Does that necessarily translate into revenue generate? Will revenue come from it automatically? Some might come organically, but some does not mean sustenance. Some does not mean the entire revenue comes that way. If that were the case, then there would be no salespeople that any of these large organizations ever needed to. I'll give you an example like Oracle, Intel, Cisco, Dell, Microsoft, SAP, or Amazon, whoever, right? It, they wouldn't have a sales team to go and sell their services. All they would need is a marketing team. And anyways, hundreds and thousands of customers would visit them and they would all convert. But does it happen that way? Answer is no. And so the question is, can you not close it by yourself? You cannot. And which is why you need a sales team. Do you have the time to close even if you could? The same logic that the salesperson has, right? He doesn't have the time to dedicate to marketing alone. And likewise, you can't do sales alone. So that's why there is a division of labor. Moving on, now with the thought clarity you have on division of labor and why they need to coexist, let us study the conflict. And so you think, if they are joined at the hip, why would there be so many conflicts? Again, I will attempt a simple view to demystify this point. Think of a 400-meter relay race, you know, the track and field events. Think Olympics, whatever. Think Usain Bolt, if you will. So each runner is passing the baton to the runner ahead of them. 
Now, it sounds a fairly simple task. 400 meters, four runners, each has to run 100 meters. Simple, carrying the baton forward from the previous runner. Now, you may have the best shoes, best baton grip, even the best tracks to run on, but each runner is different from the other. They process the same information differently. Some wait for the baton to firmly grip their hand and they feel good and confident before the sprint. Some take a head start and even a mere light grip is enough for them to carry on. Some barely look back, you know, they have just a hand outstretched at the back. And some keep looking back till they are sure that they are not dropping the baton to move forward. Now, all of this is fantastic when you win the race. But oftentimes, when this clockwork precision fails, that is when questions are asked. Despite the best practice for years, the baton sometimes drops. This is where exactly the shit hits the fan. So when the baton drops, your team is out of the race. You, you lost the race. Right. So when your team is out of the race, there is reason to investigate what went wrong. Logical. It's when this investigation happens, each party says they did their bit, but the other one let them down. And so that is the root of the conflict. Now I'm just giving one example as somebody dropping the baton. It could be one runner running slower and there could be multiple other things. But like I said, simplicity is the order of the day. So that is the root of the conflict, each pointing the finger at the other to save themselves from being accused of dropping the baton. Because when the stakes are high, consequences are high, you could be barred from the races. In short, you could be fired from your organization, business team, what have you. The fear factor is real in most organizations. Make no mistake about it. However, if you ask me what is more difficult to digest is the feeling that you are not competent. That's the worst feeling to be perceived as someone who is incompetent by your peers, by your team members. While in reality, that might not be the case at all. You could have been the best runner or the fastest runner or in other races. But the reality as it stands today is that the evidence suggests otherwise. And you have no defense against it because net of the story, the baton has dropped. There is no innocent until proven guilty at workplace. It should be, but I'm just again simplifying it. It's more like perception which leads to a reality, right? So it's more perception of incompetence leads to consequences, some of which are irreversible. And you won't really wouldn't want to exit an organization as an under-competent employee, isn't it? You'd rather leave on a high. So this complexity leads to tension between co-workers and is the bedrock of politics in all levels, not just marketing and sales. It could be in multiple uh, avenues. It could be stakeholders. It could be juniors. It could be in, it could manifest in multiple ways. But this complexity of I did my bit, but he or she did not, is the root problem. So how do you solve for this situation? 
let's take a stab at it. Now, before I take a stab at it, disclaimer, no amount of what you give as a suggestion or a recommendation, there is a no 100% guarantee or there isn't a foolproof plan for this. Because if there were, then the problem wouldn't persist. And I can assure you there are a lot of smart people across the world, across the ages and years who have attempted to solve this. And I don't intend to be the first one, but I would certainly not be the last one trying to take a stab at it. Okay, so bear with me on, on the simplistic view, as it were, towards tackling this problem. Number one, joint accountability. I'm sure you've heard about this many times, but let me explain what I mean when I say joint accountability. If your teams are not jointly responsible, accountable, then you will never eliminate conflict between the two. What do I mean by that? I mean, if the business has missed its numbers for the quarter, fiscal or year, what have you, then as management, the first guidance you give is to make a joint presentation instead of separate presentations of marketing and sales. You have to make them stand together and be accountable together. They will need to jointly agree on three points. Number one, listen carefully. Number one, why the problem happened. Number two, what could they have done differently right at the start? Number three, how are they going to fix it for the future? Simple three points. That's all you need to know. Use common sense, neutral judgment to check if this is an exception or if this is becoming a trend. If this is an exception, then what is the fix to it? And how can you ensure that this does not happen again, like I said? However, the more worrisome is if this is a trend. First of all, you need to think, why is it that you're catching on the trend right now? Is there a drop in the processes that you've caught the trend at a more advanced stage? It's, think of it like a cancer, right? If you identify cancer at stage four, there's very little that you can do to fix it, right? Un un unless you make a major overhaul and even then it can relapse or what have you. Can you take precautions to identify it earlier and stop the rot in the system? So it's a stop press moment. You know, you stop everything else. If you notice a trend, then you stop press and get down to fixing it. And what could be the three top points that come to mind when it's a trend? Is this a system issue? System as in the whole system issue. Is this a process issue or is it a person issue? Broadly, it has to revolve or 90% of the problems will get bucketed under these three headers. And I don't need to tell you that there is a fix for all the three, right? The system issue, there's a fix. The process issue, there's a fix. And person issue, of course, there's a fix. So if you follow these tightly, chances are that you will reduce the friction between these two entities and by that design, these two people. So that was metric. That was solution number one, joint accountability. Solution number two is metrics. Having a marketing metric in sales and a sales metric in marketing. How does that sound, right? Just as an example, 
have 10% weightage for closing deals from MQLs. And likewise, have a 10% weightage for MQL conversions to SQLs. So that there is no dropping the ball. Each is invested in the other's success. To do that, have a predefined, the buzzword, predefined. What constitutes a good job? What constitutes a good lead? Have this defined categorically, granularly at the start. Not as a crisis management at a later point. At the start of the year, at the start of the fiscal, whatever. So that when marketing gives a list of MQLs, that is market qualified leads, then they consist of the pre-agreed information. So the sales cannot come back and question that this was not good, the quality was bad, or blah, blah, blah. So you eliminate the major bone of discontention. The report has to be seen by all stakeholders. This report of MQLs being given to sales and sales accepting them, this has to be very, very simple, succinct, and yet clear and periodically vetted by all the stakeholders. It's very, very important because this becomes the fuel to the engine. If the fuel is contaminated, the results are not going to be ideal. So make no mistake, this is very, very important. Likewise, on the flip side, sales folks should have a timeline to close out an MQL. They cannot sit on a SQL, which they have accepted as a, from an MQL, say for 30 days, and then reject it saying that the customer is not interested. The turnaround time is key. If you are not fast, you are food. Finally, marketing should agree to deliver net new leads instead of recycling old leads. What happens is it clogs the CRM, the system, and provides a false sense of numbers to the business. You know, it'll, it'll inflate the number of entities in the system and it'll always come across that, look, you had 10,000 leads sitting in the system, but your salespeople are not closing it. But when salespeople investigate and dive into it and figure out that there aren't 10,000, there are actually 5,000 or even 1,000, of which 300 are repeat customers and only 200 or 400 or whatever the math is, is you know, the bare minimum of which they have already attempted 70-80%, then the math looks totally different. A word about lead scores as well in the same context. Typically, we see repeat customers who are looking for freebies or just plain information or support creep up the lead score, which in turn puts pressure on the sales team again to close faster as, as if these are all mission-critical leads and leads are lying around when getting new ones are so difficult and hell breaks loose. You know the drill. So it's very important to call out the lead score analysis very early. You have to really dive in and figure out if, for example, in your organization, if a lead score, if on a scale of 10, if 10 is a hot lead, as in the customer has said, send me a quotation. Just think, bear with me on that, right? Just very hot lead. One is absolutely uh, not interested. And this has come up to eight. It's not always that the customer uh, is waiting for a quote. Sometimes when you call them, you figure out that they just want 
a small piece of information which they could have just perhaps googled it but they are waiting for the company's person to call so it's very important to know the real number of high score leads and basis which all other extrapolation can happen so there needs to be a metric where marketing has to deliver net new leads which are not there in the system and also ensure that the high score leads have clear demarcation of the intent how are you going to do this it could be done via an algorithm or if there is a mql team pre qualifying and vetting that information from the customer that will increase the conversion rates and clearly the sales has an obligation to move those leads to active status in less than 48 hours in fact it should be down to like 2 3 hours or less because if you have really filtered through all this process the chances are that these are worth its weight in gold and if you find them then you go to grab on to them as quickly as you can so in summary here are the three points under the metrics solution for sales folks a 48 hour turnaround time for a sql mission critical if you make it even lesser even better incentives your sales incentives to have a mql conversion metric say give it 10% conversion of all the things 10% of all the mqls you receive need to convert into revenue number 3 a high score lead needs to have a minimum of 30% conversion rate high score leads are less in number therefore they are pre filtered they are almost like very good closable deals and you should have no reason to not close them so therefore the pressure is high on the high score leads so this is for the sales folks for the marketing folks though there are three things as well to have number one to have 50% net new customers per marketing event or campaign having repeat customers doesn't help the system the business nobody have to have to reach new customers in india as 60 million smbs for example and i don't think we have touched even you know 50% or 30% of them any organization you uh, take into consideration it's very difficult because that number the n- names of entities keep refreshing every 3 to 4 months or 6 months so finding net new customers should not be a challenge you have to have the campaigns which target net new customers number 2 mqls have to be pre agreed information mqls need to have a pre agreed information failing which they should be moved out of the crm either by way of algorithm or by way of self vetting by your sales team uh, by your marketing team and or if you are going to give it to the sales team guys then that those expectations need to be set in advanced in advance and agreed by both the leaders finally mql to sql conversion to have at least a 10% weightage in your incentive as well for marketing folks so those were the 3 plus 3 and and these are of course you will have other metrics and everything but you know the if you look at a venn diagram the overlapping part this is that segment and so both the marketing person and the sales person are equally invested in making the other successful that's the underlying thread it cannot be one in lieu of the other 
it has to be both invested in each other's success. That's the fundamental philosophical thread, if you will. Finally, as is the case with anything else in the world, if this is not periodically audited, this is likely to fail. And so try that to the best of your ability with the right intent and intention and see if the friction reduces. I hope it works for you and good luck with that. Friends, that brings us to the final question, the million dollar question. Where should inside sales roll into? Should inside sales roll into marketing and, and or field sales? And the answer to this is fairly short and is in the form of a question. And the question is, what role do you want your inside sales engine to play in your business? If you want it to play a back office support staff kind of a role, then by design, it does not matter whether marketing runs it or field sales runs it. It's just a glorified back office support staff. And I'm not meaning to belittle the back office support staff. All I'm saying is then they are not your classical sales people. You hire a particular skill set, which is of a support function, and it just does that bit. Nothing wrong with it, right? But those expectations have to be very clear. However, if you want to hold them accountable for revenue conversion and pipeline conversion, then automatically you are expecting a support staff to perform a sales function. That is where the conflict is. So you have to be very clear. If you need a sales support, then you have to hire people from sales support background. If you need to have revenue or sales kind of skill sets, then you need to hire salespeople. That said, if you want to run your inside sales as a parallel revenue generating sales engine, then it should roll into sales by sheer job definition. If there are 10 items in their job description, eight are sales oriented, customer facing or customer engagement oriented, then why bucket them under marketing? It's fairly simple and clear to me. In fact, I'd take this a step further that this is 2020. How you sold in 2010 is not how you sell in 2020. And what are you doing differently in 2020? That inside sales should run as an independent business unit, which is at par with marketing and field. So there's marketing lead, there's a field lead, there's an inside sales lead, all rolling into one senior lead, if you will. This again ties back to the top of our conversation, division of labor, divide and conquer. You reach more customers, have a higher customer facing time, which in turn betters your chance at more revenue. It's as simple as that. So the next time you see Tom and Jerry pick up a fight, you know that the process needs fixing, but so does the thinking of the business. So as long as you are clear on the direction you want to give your business and how you want to scale at what rate, at what pace, these answers will come easy to you. And so I cannot end this episode without thanking my marketing counterparts. You know who you are. I love you guys. <laughs> so we'll meet for a beer. But remember, I wouldn't be half as successful without you guys. And that's a fact. And I'm glad a lot of us went through this process of evolution, which is where I could perhaps articulate it 
in this manner and it has worked for me uh, over the years so thank you to all not just marketing folks but sales folks and field sales folks everybody well that's all for now i hope you had a good time listening as much as i had sharing these thoughts and if you did do tune in to the other episodes of bus talk yes you could share them on facebook or twitter and with especially those who might appreciate similar content and if you need to talk to me or reach out to me you can use the twitter handle hashtag #gyanban spelled as g y a n b a n one word or email me on gyanban at gmail.com again spelled as g y a n b a n n be sure to tune in next week there is a fascinating episode coming up for you till we meet again stay safe be well and bring your a game to work ciao